Hello, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Susan Deniker, with the law firm of Steptoe & Johnson in West Virginia. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. In today's episode, we will be discussing the recent decision from the National Labor Relations Board, which addresses evaluation of workplace rules and whether they violate the National Labor Relations Act. We've got an interesting case to talk about, a recent decision from the NLRB, which I think is pretty complicated, but good news to break this all down for us as an expert on this issue. Chad Horton, who's an attorney with Shaw Rosenthal, LLP in Maryland, is here, and he's got lots of good pointers for all of us today. Chad, welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Susan. I look forward to breaking down this case that has application to both unionized and non-union employers. Yeah, so all of our listeners, this is going to apply to you. And this really is an interesting conversation. Chad, let's talk about this case. It just came down at the beginning of August, and it's the Stericycle case, which adopts a new standard for evaluating the lawfulness of workplace rules under the National Labor Relations Act. Give us the thumbnail sketch here so that our listeners know what we're going to be talking about today. Exactly right. Earlier this month, the board issued its long-anticipated decision in Stericycle, and it has changed the standard that it will apply to work rules that do not expressly restrict activity protected by Section 7 of the NLRA, but may still be reasonably interpreted by employees to restrict such activity and would therefore violate Section 8A1 of the NLRA. So it's important first for employers to know that this decision does not change the analytical framework for work rules promulgated in response to protected activity or rules that explicitly restrict protected activity. Nor does this decision change the standard for assessing certain work rules that already have their own line of board jurisprudence, such as no solicitation and no distribution rules or rules relating to the wearing of union insignia. This case will address how the board will analyze work rules that do not expressly restrict protected activity. So in many cases, appear to set forth neutral, but very common sense workplace rules. That's part of the reason this case was so closely watched by employers and board observers. One more quick point. This decision overruled two Trump era uh, board decisions in Boeing and LA specialty produce, which changed and later clarified the, the board's framework for analyzing these facially neutral work rules. And in doing so, in Stericycle, the board effectively returns to the standard that was established in the early 2000s by its decision in Lutheran Heritage. And as the board notes in this decision, builds on and revises that Lutheran Heritage standard. So Chad, I promised our listeners that you were going to help us break this down because there is a lot here to unpack. So let's maybe start with Section 7 rights under the NLRA. Would you explain that to our listeners? We throw that around a lot, but talk to us about what that really means. Right. So Section 7 of the NLRA is really the core of the NLRA. It's what endows employees, gives employees rights to engage in union activities and what we call protected concerted activities for mutual aid or protection. So for example, the ability to discuss wages amongst each other, 
the ability to form, join, or assist a union. And Section 7 also gives employees the right to refrain from doing any of those things as well, as employers will often note, but it's not often brought up by, by union side lawyers or the board itself. So that's Section 7 is the core of the NLRA, really, because that's what gives employees certain rights to engage in activities that are protected by the Act, by Section 7. You're right. And I think it's time, you alluded to this earlier, but I think it's time to remind our listeners that those rights are shared between not just union employees and unionized workforces, but also non-union employees. So just the fact that you don't have a unionized workforce doesn't mean that you don't need to pay attention here. Isn't that right, Chad? Very true. And this is why this case is so important. I alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast when I said this case has application to both unionized and non-union employers. Many decisions that the board issues, labor law nerds like myself get very excited about it. But in fact, it really only may impact unionized workforces, or in some cases, it may only impact employers who have unionized workforces, but really concerning issues that don't come up very often, right? You know, whether an employer has an obligation to continue union security and dues checkoff following the expiration of a CBA. Well, how often does that come up? Not very often. But in this case, almost every employer, union or non-union, has an employee handbook or has a code of conduct or has other standalone policies setting forth work rules. So this is a very important decision for all employers. I think that that's a great point, Chad. And so the other part of this that you've already mentioned that's really tricky is the standard itself reaches rules that I think many employers would think were rules that couldn't cause any trouble, right? That seem like neutral rules that are kind of common sense workplace rules. And this is kind of a return to the Obama era decisions we saw where there was really a target on employee handbooks and general workplace rules. We're kind of getting back to that place. Is that right, Chad? Very much so. I would absolutely agree with that. And you know, certain common sense rules that some employers are going to look at us, their attorney, and say, why do I have to change that? That's ridiculous. It's a civility rule. It's simply asking employees to be civil with one another. How could that possibly be construed as violating an employee's rights? But that's really what we're going to get back to, I think, as the board continues to apply the decision in Stericycle, we're going to be seeing more of that. So let's talk about what this standard actually is. Like any great legal standard, it's not very clear, is it? Um, but why don't you why don't you make it clear for us, Chad? Right, <laughs> that that's absolutely right. It is a burden shifting framework, and it's going to be one of those case by case analyses that employers hate because it's really going to the ultimate conclusion is going to hinge on the specific facts. So that will not provide us a ton of certainty because one work rule in one context may be lawful. You know, in a certain industry, but in another industry, it may be unlawful. So as for the standard itself, the general counsel is going to bear the initial burden of proving that a, a challenged work rule has a reasonable tendency to chill employees from exercising rights protected by Section 7 of the NLRA. And in Stericycle, the board made very clear that it will interpret the rule, and this is important, from the perspective of an employee who is, quote, economically dependent on the employer and who also contemplates engaging in protected activity. 
This is different from the Trump era standard in Boeing that said a reasonable employee does not look at every work rule through the prism of the NLRA. So that is a change. So interpreting and Chad, it from- that's everyone, right? Every employee is economically dependent on his or her employer, right? I would think so. I would I think mean, so. it would be hard to overcome that, right? I would think so, right. So, I mean, that to me was filler language because you're right. Almost every employee is going to be economically dependent on his or her employer. And the part, though, that I think caught some by surprise, perhaps, is you know the employee who contemplates engaging in protected activity. That's not every employee or perhaps even most employees, right? So it's not the average reasonable employee. It's the employee who contemplates engaging in protected activity, activity protected by the NLRB. So if that employee that the NLRB has described in Stericycle could reasonably interpret the challenge work rule to have a coercive meaning, the GC has carried her burden. And that is true. And again, very important even if a contrary non-coercive interpretation is also reasonable. So you could look at a rule, ambiguous, and there could be to the NLRB a reasonable interpretation that restricts Section 7 activity, but an equally reasonable interpretation that does not. But so long as there is a reasonable interpretation that the work rule restricts protected activity, then it is going to be presumed unlawful and the GC will have carried her burden and it will now be incumbent upon the employer to rebut the presumption of illegality. How difficult will it be for employers to be able to rebut that presumption once it exists? Oh, I think it's going to be quite difficult, even setting aside the fact that this current board is you know, ardently pro-union, pro-employee. I don't think you'd get much dispute from management side practitioners on that assertion, but it's going to be difficult. So Again, the rule is interpreted from the perspective of the economically dependent employee. In order to rebut this presumption, the employer, the board says, is going to have to first prove that the rule advances a legitimate and substantial business interest. The board did not exactly clarify or define what would meet that standard of legitimate and substantial interest. So that perhaps will be left to subsequent case law to clarify. But Here's the kicker, Susan. Even if the employer establishes a legitimate and substantial business interest supporting the need for the rule, the employer has not rebutted the presumption that the rule is unlawful. It must also demonstrate that the employer would be unable to advance that same interest with a more narrowly tailored rule. So put simply, if the board can come up with a way to find that the rule could be somehow more narrowly tailored, the employer has not met its burden and the rule will be held unlawful. So once again, even if that rule can be reasonably interpreted as non-coercive, and even if it advances a legitimate substantial business justification, it will be held unlawful if it could be narrower. So Chad, our clients are now looking at their handbooks, right, and shaking their heads because how do they evaluate their policies, which to them seem reasonable on their face, seem like common sense work rules, and now seem really targeted in terms of this opinion? How do they evaluate those and have some comfort in terms of what passes muster now under the Stericycle decision? That's a great question, because what we lost from this decision that overrules not only Boeing and LA Specialty Produce, 
but specifically overrules all of the other work rule cases relying upon those decisions. So dozens of decisions essentially swept away with this one board decision. And Boeing and LA Specialty Produce helped produce certainty, right? All employers knew that certain type of work rules would be category one work rules, which were always held to be lawful. For example, no recording rules, civility rules, and so forth, but also other rules that would always be held unlawful, right? Most employers know that they can't restrict employees' ability to discuss wages. You can't call your employee handbook confidential. So employers had that certainty. They knew when they were formulating or contemplating a rule, how the board under Boeing would assess that rule and determine whether it is lawful or not. That's all gone, right? So now we're at a point where there's a a case-by-case analysis and really an exacting standard, a low bar for the general counsel to meet her burden, but a very exacting standard and high bar for the employer to meet. So what should employers do, right? So first of all, they're going to have to take a close look at their handbooks. Now that we've lost that certainty, employers are going to have to assess their facially neutral work rules to determine if the rule could be reasonably interpreted as interfering with or restricting employees' exercise of Section 7 rights. And it may have to strain a little bit to determine whether such an interpretation is reasonable, because again, it's being viewed from that perspective of the economically dependent employee who's contemplating engaging in activity protected by the NLRA. So if that reasonable interpretation from the perspective of that employee, not the average employee, is that the rule could restrict the activity, the employer has to, one, assess whether it has a legitimate and substantial justification for that rule, and two, soberly ask itself, is there a way that this rule could be more narrowly tailored to address that interest, that justification that we're setting forth? And if the answer is yes, it could probably be more narrowly tailored. It is going to have to take a close look at narrowing that rule in order to comply with stair cycle. These are tough reviews for employers because candidly, we're left with more questions sometimes after these decisions than answers. I think the stair cycle case is an example of that. Do you think so too, Chad? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also think it's a harbinger for coming board decisions that are going to be wielding the standard to find many of the same work rules that were found to be unlawful under Boeing, Many in many cases over the descent of now Chair McFerrin, now will be held unlawful under the stericycle standard. Civility rules, no recording rules, investigative confidentiality rules, which very relevant to this case because that was one of the actual work rules involved in stericycle. And the board remanded to the administrative law judge to assess under the stericycle standard whether a investigative confidentiality rule is unlawful. So I think you can see, given that Apogee Retail Group was effectively overruled by this decision, you're very likely going to be returning to the Banner Estrella standard for investigative confidentiality. So you're going to see close watchers of the board know that as the president's political party changes, so too does the you know the political pendulum swings at the board as well. And we get a lot of back and forth on what's lawful and what's not lawful. I think you're going to see a lot of work rules that were previously held lawful under Boeing and its progeny now be held unlawful under the stericycle standard. Well, Chad's telling us there is more to come, but don't worry, because that's why we have the Employment Matters podcast so that we can keep talking through these issues 
keep all of our listeners updated and give you some key takeaways for how you handle this. Chad, the key takeaway on this one is pull out your handbook, start reviewing your policies through the lens of the stair cycle decision. Absolutely. Yep. Sober assessment of whether the rule could be reasonably interpreted as coercive and then whether you can more narrowly tailor the rule to meet a legitimate and substantial justification. That's the real takeaway from this decision. Chad, thank you so much for your time today. This is a complicated issue. The board's decision and standards are complicated, but you've walked us through it and you've explained it and given us all practical advice. And this is so important for employers who now have to determine how to incorporate this decision and do their best to comply with the law in their own workplaces. Thanks for your time today, Chad. Thanks, Susan. It was a pleasure and enjoyed speaking about this very important decision for employers. Same to you. And I'm looking forward to having you back because as you have said, there is more to come and we'll be here to unpack the next one, won't we, Chad? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Great. Thank you listeners for tuning in with us today. If you would like to connect with Chad, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Susan Deniker. Thanks so much for listening.